Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Today, obviously, is Easter Sunday, 2023. Here we go, ready or not, right? And um, my message is entitled, Evidence for Easter. I was thinking about this uh, a a few days back, and in Matthew 28, I want to read it to you. Imagine that you've never heard it. And in Matthew 28, verse 5, it says, The angel told the women, remember they came that morning while it was early to see the tomb of Jesus. And it says, The angel told the women, Don't be afraid, because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He has been risen, just as He said. Can you say it with me? He is not here. Amen? One more time. He is not here. And then say, He is risen. Ready? He is risen. That makes all the difference in the world right there. And it says here that the angel said these words to the women. And it says, uh, Come and see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples, He is risen from the dead, and indeed He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see Him there. And then, as if they needed it, listen, I have told you. Okay? And so that was, that was the news that they heard on that wonderful Easter Resurrection Sunday. And you said it yourself, He is not here. He is risen. You know, the testimony of the apostles that were with Jesus for three, three and a half years is found in Acts 2.32. It's in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost when he declares very simply, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. That's what Easter is all about. You know, Peter, James, and John, and the other nine, they had been with Jesus And they had saw the miracles and the healings. They had heard His teachings. They saw, they saw Him live day in and day out. And then the cross came. And then the tomb. And from their perspective, it was over. And then on the third day, He rose again. And it just simply blew them away. And they never were the same after that. That's a fact. And their testimony was, God has raised this Jesus, and we are witnesses of it. And so what I want to do today is to examine the evidence. Before we examine the evidence, I want to tell you a story. I don't know if you've ever heard of Simon Greenleaf. Dr. Simon Greenleaf. He was a professor at Harvard University. He lived between 1783 and 1853. So yeah, it's been a long time ago. He was instrumental in putting Harvard Law School on the map. He wrote many, many books. One of his most renowned books was entitled The Treatise on the Law of Evidence. The book is still used today. One day while he was teaching a law class at Harvard, He simply stated that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a legend. He was a self-proclaimed atheist, and he did not believe in miracles. That day, he had three students in his class that took him aside and they challenged him. They said, Professor, 
would you be willing to apply your famous rules of evidence to the resurrection account of Jesus Christ? And he gladly accepted the challenge. He was certain that he could discredit the resurrection of Christ, and he eagerly pursued it. However, the more he investigated the records of history, the more he studied the events of the cross and the resurrection of Christ, the more convinced he became that the evidence clearly supported that Jesus indeed rose from the dead. Professor Greenleaf was unable to explain what happened at the cross. He also couldn't explain the behavior of Jesus' disciples. It just didn't make sense. And he looked at the evidence. Not just one or two, but all of his disciples declared that Jesus was alive. All of them had that same conviction and they carried it to their grave and I think all but one, John who was exiled on the island of Patmos, they died as a martyr for the faith, for their faith in Christ. I mean, they believed it so much that they were willing to die for it. All of them had that conviction. And he could look at the events of history and see that before the resurrection, they were timid and afraid. But after the resurrection, they were bold and fearless. How do you explain the change of behavior? Using his own rules of evidence, he had no choice but to confirm that Jesus indeed rose from the dead. Applying his own rules of evidence to the facts, Dr. Greenleaf arrived at his verdict and he agreed with his three students and he said, indeed, Jesus has risen from the dead. No way the disciples could uh, pretend that he uh, was alive when he really wasn't. They were willing to die for that belief. And they never recanted their faith in Jesus. Greenleaf, Dr. Greenleaf went on to become a committed Christian. And he wrote a book in, called The Testimony of the Evangelist. And in that book, he challenged anyone to look at the evidence about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he was convinced that if anybody looked at the evidence as an honest examiner, that you too will come away convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is the hope that we have. The bedrock of our faith is that we can point to an empty tomb. And we can say, He is not here. He has risen. No other faith group can say that. So let's examine the evidence this morning. Number one, let's look at the events of Jesus' death. I want to move through this quickly, so listen closely. First, I want to look at a man named Pilate, who was governor uh, uh, back then, and he was in a position of authority. He could stop this, or he could allow it. You know what ultimately happened, but let's look at Pilate for a moment in Luke 23, verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, You have brought me this man as one who misleads the people, because they were saying all kinds of things about Jesus. But in fact, 
after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Now here is a government leader looking at Jesus who have religious leaders accusing him of things. And the government leader says, he hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't done anything wrong. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but historically if that happened and it did, that proves that Jesus didn't do anything wrong. And the Bible records it for us. Neither has Herod, Pilate goes on to say, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. The Holy Spirit records this account in the Bible so you and I can know if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to church and you're still wondering who this Jesus guy was, you know, why did they kill him? Because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And the religious leaders of the day, they could not and they would not accept it. And they ultimately accused him of blasphemy. You're claiming to be God and you're not. And they demanded he be crucified. But when not one, but two government leaders, King Herod and Pilate, a governor, examined him, they both came to the conclusion, this guy's done nothing wrong. He's not done anything illegal, immoral, unethical. There's no grounds for his death. But let's look on. It says here, Therefore, in verse 16, I will have him whipped and then release him. But look what happened. Then they all cried out together, Take this man away! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was trouble with a capital T. And they had a tradition where they would release one prisoner. And instead of saying, release Jesus, they're saying, give us Barabbas and take this Jesus guy. Well, anyway, let's read the rest of the story. He had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. So Barabbas was a rebellion, he was an insurrectionist, and he was a murderer. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And their voices won out. And so Pilate decided to grant their demand. And he released the one they were asking for, that is Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder, but he handed Jesus over to their will. And now you know how it all went down. Pilate, when we look at the evidence, or the, when we look at the events of Jesus' death, I point to Pilate first. Because he was the one in authority that could have stopped it, but he allowed it. Because he listened to the voice of the people and their voice won out. But for the record, King Herod and Governor Pilate said, there's no grounds for killing this man. He's done nothing wrong. 
remember that. Well, let's look at some more events at the cross or leading up to the cross. At this point, they hand Jesus over and ultimately he's nailed on a cross between two thieves. So there's three on the cross that day. Jesus is in the middle between two thieves. And I zoom to that part of the story because at that point, Jesus has been mocked and beaten to a pulp. He's hanging on a cross, nails in his hands and in his feet, and people are walking by and they're scoffing at him. And they're mocking him. And while you're picturing that in your mind, picture being one of these two thieves. And due to time, I may not read it all, but you know, there's four gospel accounts. And one account tells us that both thieves were kind of giving him a tongue lashing. Hey man, if you really are all that, why don't you get us out of here? Why don't you do something? And then they kind of go with the crowd, giving Jesus a hard way to go. But suddenly, one of those thieves repented. And I can tell you why I believe he did. Because when you put the, the gospel accounts together to make a composite picture, we know there were seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And one of those sayings was, he looked out at all the people and all the stuff that was going on, and he prayed, Father, forgive them they don't know what they're doing think about that I've done nothing wrong I've been accused nobody's listening they've handed me over they're crucifying me I'm going to die but I'm not worried about that right now Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing I believe that prayer changed one of these thieves And let me show you what happened next. We call it the repentant thief. It's in Luke 23, verse 32. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. And when they arrived at the place called the Skull, that's Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes, and they cast lots, and the people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. Not just the crowd, but the soldiers too. They came offering him sour wine, and they said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, written, this is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us! But the other criminal answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Can I tell you something? Can we get real for just a minute? I find it very ironic that the religious people of Jesus' day couldn't stand Him to the point that they wanted to kill Him. But two government people examined Him and a convicted criminal examined Him and said the man hadn't done anything wrong. You know what I think? I think they got a better judge of character than religious people do. 
Ouch. But look at what happens here. He says, this man's done nothing wrong. And then the repentant thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that good? See, I want you to see these events that happened at the cross. This is the evidence that I'm submitting to you. And I got one more very quickly at the cross. We looked at Pilate. He said he hadn't done anything wrong. Herod said he hadn't done anything wrong. The repentant thief is seeing Jesus pray for the people that are mistreating him. And he says, man, that guy didn't do anything wrong. Where I come from, nobody does that. Pray for your enemies? Are you kidding me? Isn't that what Jesus taught? And now we have the centurion. When Jesus died, it says in Mark 15, verse 37, Jesus let out a loud cry. He breathed his last. We know from other accounts, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died. And then the curtain of the temple, according to Mark 15, 38, was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, that's the Roman soldier, who was standing opposite of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now look at it again with fresh eyes. And you have Jesus, who makes a big bodacious claim. I am. He said that a lot in the Gospel of John. That was the name of God. He said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Okay? I am. You know, the, the living water. If you drink of, uh, of the water I give, you'll never thirst again. If you eat of the bread that I provide, you'll never, you know, be hungry again. You know, I am the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He was telling us. He was calling a shot. He was telling us who he was. He was pointing to what he was going to do. And ultimately, he died on the cross. And yet, along the way, the people that could have put a stop to it, and even the people that were with him that it happened to, like the thief, and even the Roman centurion that executed him, they all said, this man has done nothing wrong. Let the record speak for itself. That is the events of the cross. I've got two more. I'll make it quick. Examine the evidence. We looked at the events of Jesus' death. Now let's consider the empty tomb. In Luke 24, verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Remember when they buried him, they put a stone over the tomb. Nobody could get in. Obviously, nobody could get out. And they even posted guards. It says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified, and they bowed down to the ground and, they, and, and said to the men, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? The men said to the women, He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying it's necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, 
and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, and when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what happened. So now we're looking at the empty tomb. There were witnesses that morning that went, the stones rolled away, the tomb is empty, the dead grave clothes are still there. Isn't that right? And now angels appear and tell them what's going on, and it's still hard to believe it. And then when they run and tell the, the rest of the apostles, they don't even believe it. I mean, you know, that's crazy, right? Somebody rising from the dead? How can that be? Unless he really is who he claimed to be. And that is the Son of God. I love this quote. George Sinclair said, The historical evidence shows that the grave was empty. The grave clothes were neatly left behind. Remember that. The stone enclosing the tomb was rolled away. The body of Jesus was never found. The grave had been guarded by Roman soldiers and no one ever claimed to have stolen the body. Now you'll find out that the critics tried to advance the theory that Jesus' body was stolen, but that simply wasn't true. But here's what I want you to understand. If you were going to steal a body that had that much spices, did you know that the spices are worth more than the body? And if you're going to steal the body, you would take the grave clothes because the spices are attached to the grave clothes. And if you can extract those spices, you can still get some money from that. But that didn't happen. We've looked at the events of Jesus' death. We've looked at the empty tomb. And I've got one more piece of evidence for us to examine, and that is the eyewitnesses of his appearances, the appearances of Jesus risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 gives a good account of this. In verse 3, Paul said, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he, that he was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. We've got a great crowd here right now, but it's not 500. So it was bigger than this. And it says most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. That's the term we use when a believer dies. They've fallen asleep, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then he appeared to James, that's the Lord's brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, Paul says, as the one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. Why did Paul use that awkward phrase, born at the wrong time? 
Because Paul, before he knew Jesus, was named Saul. And he did not like these Christians. And he thought they were misguided. He thought they were flat out wrong. And he had power from the high priest to go out and prosecute them and persecute them. And he rounded them up and took them to prison. One time Paul had his marching orders. And he was on the road to Damascus to find some more Christians. And that's when the risen glorified Christ appeared to Paul. There was a light from heaven. He heard the voice of the Lord. He immediately fell to his knees. He lost his sight for a period of time. And the Lord appeared to him. And it changed his life. And ironically, the guy that went and persecuted Christians, he was persecuted probably more than any other Christian. He took the 40 lashes minus one on multiple occasions. He was placed into chains for preaching the gospel that Jesus is the Son of God and he rose from the dead. He endured all kinds of suffering because of what he believed about Jesus Christ. God used a man like that. You know, not including Paul, there are 11 recorded times that Jesus appeared to people proving that he had risen from the dead. These appearances were to men and women, individuals, couples, groups, and at least one crowd of 500. The appearances were inside and outside in different locations at different times of the day. He was physically touched. He was audibly heard. He was visually seen. He ate food in their presence. None of these witnesses believed that Jesus would rise from the dead before it actually happened. They literally just didn't see it coming. But all of them knew him before his death. And so when he appeared, risen and glorified, they knew it was the same Jesus. Today, I want you to examine the evidence, the events of the cross, the empty tomb, and the eyewitness accounts. And if you give it an honest examination, I believe you will find that Jesus indeed did rise from the dead. With that said, I guess I've got one more question to answer. Why is that important? Let me tell you very quickly. It's important for a few reasons, and I'm going to rattle them off. Number one, Jesus' resurrection fulfilled prophecy. In Psalm 16, verse 8, the pen of David wrote, I always let the Lord guide me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol, that's the dwelling of the dead. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me, and in your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. Now, David was a believer. He, he believed God, he followed God, and he loved God, and he wrote that in faith because he saw, he saw a picture of one of these days I'm going to be with the Lord forever in glory, and this is what it's going to be like. But God had made a promise to David that I'm going to send a son that will sit on your throne and he will rule in, in righteousness and he'll rule and reign forever. Well, it wasn't David, even though he was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't Solomon, even though he was the wisest man who ever lived. 
But if you go to the, the gospel of Matthew and read the family tree, you know, Abraham, David, Jesus. Jesus. He's the seed. He's the descendant that fits the bill. And Jesus is the one that went to the grave. But he didn't decay and he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And this passage in Psalm 16 is what Peter quoted in his sermon on Pentecost in Jerusalem in Acts 2. Acts 2.29, brothers and sisters... I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades. That's the dwelling of the dead. They called it Sheol in the Old. They called it Hades in the New Testament. And his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since He has been exalt, uh, exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, He has poured out what you both see and hear, for it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but He Himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God made this Jesus. Whom you crucified. Remember when they said, crucify him. God made this Jesus. Whom you crucified. Both Lord and Messiah. I want to tell you today. That Paul preached the same thing in Antioch of Poseidon. In Acts 13. Paul said as to the raising uh, him. As to his raising from the dead. Never to return to decay. Referring to Psalm 16 again. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed and died. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through Him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you would never believe even if someone were to explain it to you. Whoa, that's a prophet from the Old Testament. When you go back to the cross and they're scoffing him and they're mocking him. And the prophet in the Old Testament says, oh, there's coming a day. God's going to come. He's going to do something. You wouldn't even believe it if I told you. And you know what? They didn't until after it happened. And they saw Jesus' resurrection fulfilled prophecy. And his resurrection confirmed his own words. Let me read this quickly. Mark 8, 31. I'm going to read this real fast because I want you to realize that one Two, three times Jesus told his disciples what was going to happen. They still didn't get it. Mark 8, 31. He began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, you know, the religious leaders, and be killed and rise after three days. And he spoke openly about this. 
It wasn't a secret. He spoke openly about it. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. In other words, Peter, I love you, but you don't get it. Mark 9, a chapter later, verse 30. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, this is what Jesus was saying, the Son of Man, which is one of the titles he used to refer to himself, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he's killed, he'll rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. One more time, Mark 10, the very next chapter, verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. And taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that were going to happen to him. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days. Jesus called his shot. He knew who he was. He knew why God had sent him here. And he was dropping signs and statements left and right. It wasn't until when it was all over they looked back and went, He did say that. He did do that. How did we miss it? But they did. Jesus' resurrection fulfilled prophecy and it confirmed his own words. And lastly, Jesus' resurrection proves he's defeated sin and death. And that's the part that comes in for you and me is that he did that for you and me. He died the death that we all deserve because we've all sinned against God. We're all going to stand before God someday in judgment and we're going to be guilty as charged. And on that day, <laughs> the religious leader, the government leader, and even the criminal will go, yep, you guilty too, man. You guilty too. Every one of you are guilty, all right? And we will stand before a holy God. And we have broken His laws. And because we have broken His laws, we deserve death. And if He's a just judge, He's going to give us exactly what we deserve. But I am so glad that John 3.16, maybe you've heard it all your life, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. He sent his son into this world. Ultimately, to die a criminal's death. Even though he didn't do anything wrong. But he took the death that we deserve. In order to give us his life. And that is what the message of the gospel is about. That's what the story of Easter is about. And that's where it hits you and me in real life experience. So I want to ask you a question. 
Examine the evidence. Think about who Jesus really is. And realize that someday you're going to stand before him. And I think our community has been reminded this week. You can die old or you can die young. Can I tell you something? There's a lot I don't know. There's a few things I do know. The Bible says it's been appointed once for man to die. And then the judgment. You know what that tells me? That tells me that your death is an appointment. You're going to die. I don't know when, where, or how. But you're going to die and I'm going to die. And judgment day is an appointment. You and I will keep it whether we like it or not. You might say, well, I'm dead. What will it matter? The one that raised from the dead is going to raise everybody up and we're all going to appear before him. And he's going to reward the righteous and judge the wicked. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? You need to examine the evidence. You need to consider that you've only got one life in this life. There are no dress rehearsals. you got one shot and then it's over. Are you going to be prepared for that day when you stand before God? I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ, even though he did nothing wrong, he died the death that I deserve and you deserve. He paid our sin in full. And because he rose from the dead, he proved that he is who he claims to be. And he offers as a gift. It don't cost you anything. Have you noticed that? A gift don't cost you anything. But it costs somebody who gives it. Jesus paid it all. He gave his life. He shed his blood for you and for me. So that we can come to him just as we are. And receive him into our life and be saved. It's the biggest decision you'll make. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Musicians, if you will come. If you will stand. We're fixing to have prayer. We're going to have a time of response. Ushers, if you will come as well. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this word from the word of God. Lord, let us consider the evidence. The events of the cross. The empty tomb. The eyewitness accounts. Let us look at the story of history. And realize that. The death of Jesus isn't legend. It actually happened. And they put him in that tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. And he appeared to many people at different times over a 40-day period. Even a crowd of 500 people. And then he ascended to heaven. And he said, I'm going to come back again someday. Lord, we long for your appearing and we long for your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.